You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing fully integrated and optimised energy intelligence and storage for residential and commercial sites. And Solaray, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello, my name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and you are listening to an episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. It's early September and time to welcome back to the microphone David Leach, ITK analyst. David, um, good to have you back on the program. Yes, it's good to be back, uh, Giles. I'm glad you didn't ask how I am, but I just hope all our listeners are, are, are well. Uh, and making the most of uh, spring here in Australia or wherever you may be. And look, we've got an interesting special guest tonight. Look, we do. Yes, we'll hear later on from Matthew Bartley. He's the founder and co-CEO of um, Nexif Energy. Now, they're Singapore-based. They've got one really big project in South Australia or in Australia, um, the Lincoln Gatwin Farm. And what's interesting about that is that it's pretty big, 212 megawatts under construction. It may get bigger, may more than double. It's basically using the same facilities. It's basically replacing in capacity um, the um, the old um, the Northern Power Coffee Power Station next to Port Augusta. And the interesting thing about them was that um, they and Infogen a couple of weeks ago announced that they were buying the backup generators from the South Australian government. But before we get onto that, let's have a, just a quick roam around what some of the events. Look, there's some interesting things happening, David. Um, you've wrote a really nice piece um, the other day, just talking about the negative prices and the low prices and the negative pricing events in Queensland. I, you pointed out, and it was really, you know, this was the effect of solar in the middle of winter in Queensland. Now maybe they've got stunning skies in, in in winter rather than in summer when the clouds come over, but. Um, a couple of things that picked out um, that struck me. One was the average price at one particular interval in the middle of the day over the month of August was minus $4 a megawatt hour, which is quite interesting. And then on Wednesday, we're actually recording this on a Wednesday night, and Wednesday in Queensland, there was negative prices almost the whole day long. David, what's going on? Not just uh, negative prices, but very substantial negative prices. And that was caused uh, today in Queensland by the fact that of a scheduled outage of the transmission link between New South Wales and Queensland and those very strongly negative prices came about despite the fact that one of the uh, major coal generators there, Cogan Creek, was actually offline. Uh, So this uh, vindicates the point that we've made because it's not just in Queensland where we've seen these uh, zero prices already in the middle of the day, but on occasions when the wind is also blowing, uh, we're seeing uh, zero prices across the NIM. Uh, You know, I guess people expected to see this at some stage, but perhaps not as soon as all of this. And... You know, uh, at the moment, wind and solar, as pointed out this week, are are up to about 17%, 30 terawatt hours in total uh, at an annualised rate. But that's you've got to adjust it seasonally. So it's a big number. But the point is, it's going to get more. So we're going to see a lot more of these uh, zero price uh, intervals, I think, or a lot more. Uh, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a spread between the low and the maximum price on on, on the average day, well, but that'd be good for that'd be good for storage, wouldn't it? And it was quite interesting. We actually saw Wivenhoe in the month of August. Now Wivenhoe, you've written about Wivenhoe in the past and pointed out there's actually quite little used as is much of the pumped hydro in Australia. But what you pointed out, um, well, what's happened in August is that in the old days, it, when it did pump, it used to pump at night. Well, in August, it pumped only through the day, soaking up the excess solar, and it never once pumped at night. It just discharged in the early morning peak and the late afternoon and the evening peak. So 
that's a bit of a change. Um, so, yes, so, there's going to be more storage opportunities. There's no, yeah. It seems there's no question of that. And the point I would remind uh, listeners and policymakers and everyone who wants to panic about all of this, including, no doubt, solar farm owners, the average uh, solar-weighted price if you ignore exports. So one of the confusing things about looking at the price is you have to work out whether the guy's exported to New South Wales or not. But if we ignore that, the solar-weighted price in Queensland was uh, $33 in, in August, and it was about 60 something dollars for coal. Now, that's not as big a difference as you might think because coal's, of course, got all its uh, coal fuel costs and got to cover capex and things. So I don't think any of them are going to be greatly loving this situation. And uh, yeah. what it points out to me more than anything, Giles, I'll just finish again, is this other point that we really need the federal government to get behind the integrated system plan so that we can spread the benefits of all of this across the whole NEM and provide the maximum opportunities to the maximum number of people. That will come by building out the integrated system plan and the renewable energy zones and everyone getting behind that. Look, that's quite right. Um, look, I, I just think there's some some interesting things happening with the negative prices. I mean, normally in the market, you'd sort of say, well, when prices go down, it's usually more supply than demand. And um, that sounds notionally to be right. But um, of course, the electricity market is quite a complicated beast. And there's all sorts of contracts and take or leave it type things and all sorts of things going on. But what was interesting about the um, negative prices on Wednesday in Queensland was the number of solar farms that actually switched off for either long periods or quite short periods. And the fact that the coal generators, despite the, the absence of Kogan Creek, the coal generators, particularly the ones owned by Stanwell, actually switched on. So you just wonder whether there's some sort of little tension or just sort of, you know, um, um, uh, battle for something going on there. It's, um, it's quite interesting. I might try and tease that out later on in the week. But um, getting back to what you said about a plan, I mean, I wish we had one. And um, it was interesting to hear Kane Thornton from the Clean Energy Council expressing his frustration on Radio National this week. And um, and this was after the, the RET has been met, apparently, David. We've, we've got enough capacity now committed and financed to meet the RET, which was an interesting call from the clean energy regulator. I mean, we've been expecting this for a while. It's, it's funny that they should say it now when these things have not yet been built or connected or commissioned. But um, I guess there's a price signal out there. And there was certainly no response from the federal government about um, having any sort of plan. Uh, interestingly, REC prices have gone up in the past couple of weeks in the short in the spot market. I don't know why that would be. Uh, look, uh, I was never in any doubt that the rent would be uh, met. In, you know, I mean, not for two years anyway. Uh, I think I don't really care about that. I think the question is how many more projects are going to be announced uh, because we have to obviously go way past the rent. Uh, and continue decarbonising the economy. And uh, I think the mood for doing that in the general population, everywhere time I turn on the radio and listen to people and people think about the drought, I think the mood is, is strong at the moment. Well, you would hope so, but um, obviously the force is not very strong within the federal government. Um, no interest there, no meeting of COAG. No, nothing. Look, one other thing that we should mention before going off to this um, interview, um, although there might be another thing, um, but um, actually, no, we'll, we'll talk about the South Australian Interconnector after the interview. But let's, before this interview, Energy Security Board. Now, you've brought this up before. This is about this rewriting of the National Electricity Market Rules, uh, which hopes to be done by 2025. Now, this is really a fundamental reform. We couldn't think of another um, 
big, bigger reform, really redesigning the market. And um, the EUSB came out with an issues paper earlier on this week. Didn't actually say that very much, but it does want submissions to be put to it by the end of this month. So that seems um, that seems quite urgent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, hurry up and do nothing. Uh, look, uh, it'll all require laws, to be sure, and that'll require meetings of COAG, so, uh, you know, uh, which, of course, uh, Energy Council, which we're not having in the moment. To be honest, I think the market's still developing so quickly. In a sense, I think this market redesign is a bit premature. Uh, it needs a lot of thinking uh, 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 about how, how to manage the whole process going forward and, you know, what is the value of a marginal ge- generator when, when, when the price is zero. It, it can still have a value, funnily enough, uh, in, 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 in an overall system plan. And it does surprise me to see these solar farms switching off in Queensland. The assumption I've always worked on is that the low marginal costs uh, would displace the, the higher marginal fuels of coal and gas. And, and there's a lot to be understood about what's going on up there that, that I, I must say it's, it's moving pretty quickly and saying that you can redesign the market and you understand all of this, pretty good effort. Yes, when you don't actually know what the market is going to look like and, and what you want it to look like. And um, hopefully if they are redesigning the market, they are thinking about a decarbonised grid, whatever that might look like in the future. But look, I think time now to go off to the interview. And this is one that I recorded earlier this week with Matthew Bartley. He's the chief founder and co-chief executive of Nexif Energy. Let's have a listen. Matthew Bartley, thanks for joining the Energy Insiders podcast. And you're very welcome, Giles. Look, you um, have announced just in the last week or so the purchase, or I should actually say the lease, of some of the backup generators that were brought in by the South Australian government. Um, well, they announced it a couple of years ago. Um, tell me exactly what you've done and why. Right. Well, what we've done is we've, uh, we've participated in the process uh, that the uh, government uh, ran in South Australia uh, for the lease of these generators. Uh, they started that uh, late last year. And uh, so, you know, we already had thoughts about um, the need for some uh, um, physical uh, plant to uh, back up Lincoln Gap in order to follow our strategy of, you know, uh, wanting to execute sort of firm contracts in the market. And the main, the main reason we wanted to do that uh, was as effectively uh, um, to capture the, or offer a product where the end user doesn't have to be concerned about firming up the renewables themselves. Because normally if, if someone went out and bought a contract from a wind farm, we've seen power prices agreements, you know, written over the last couple of years. If it was just wind or just solar, then they'd have to go out and get something else in the market, wouldn't they? That's exactly right. Right. And, and so by leasing these gas generators, let's just clarify what you've actually leased. And I can't remember with you guys because there was, I think there's nine in total. Infogen's taken some of them. You've taken some of them. How many have you taken for what capacity? Yeah, so we've taken five of them uh, at 454 mm-hmm. megawatts. And these ones are currently located at the uh, former Holden factory in the car park. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the government is. Uh, has, uh, I think, sold that premises or leased it out to another venture, and so they need to um, move those units and have them established on other site. So, so where are you going to take them to? Yeah, we're taking them out to Harbour, uh, which is a site that we had independently identified even well before this process had started. Uh, for, okay, well, uh, out to Harbour, where's that? Is that sort of nearby Adelaide or...? 
Yes, it is. It's, uh, it's nearby the, um, I think, the Pelican Point plant that's out there. Uh-huh. Okay. So you've got, um, so, and just to sort of put the background of this, um, your main asset in Australia at the moment is the Lincoln Gap Wind Farm, which is not quite com- completed. I think it's actually under construction, but you're still generating a little bit from it. But it's going to be 212 megawatts, isn't it? That's right. So, yeah, so we're, we've uh, had that project or that uh, current uh, stage of the uh, wind farm sort of staged into two separate uh, uh, groups of uh of turbines, so there's 35 that are already um, uh, pretty well all erected. I think there's 30 fully erected, and the other five will be up in the next few weeks. And you know, their commissioning is following on behind that. Um, mm-hmm. And the other 24 uh, turbines, uh, we'll be looking at having them completed by August uh, next year. That, that's completely financed uh, and uh, going forward. So. Mm. And so with this backup thing, I mean, it's, it's quite interesting. So really the reason to have this backup capacity or this peaking capacity, basically, I guess, to, to, to it enables you to provide firm output for whoever, whichever customer signs up to take the otherwise cheap wind farm, cheap energy from the wind farm. So you're not doing this for any reasons of any reliability mechanism or anything like that. It's just really about the nature of the contracts that you want to sell in the market. Correct. Although the contracts we'll sell in the market will meet that uh, retailer reliability obligation test if that ever gets triggered, but uh, uh, counterparties uh, uh, are still looking for those products. So it's really selling standard electricity products from, from primarily renewable source is the strategy mm. we're trying to. And, and look, I'm, I'm going to have to tease out something about prices because we've heard from Snowy Hydro recently. They did a big tender of wind and solar and reckon they got somewhere in the round of, you know, well, they implied around about sort of $40 and, and $50 a megawatt hour and firm capacity for about $70 a megawatt hour. We also heard from Elinta Energy with their new um, 194, 196-megawatt wind farm, Yandin, in Western Australia, and they expected that to be in the mid to high $40 a megawatt hour and um, about 60 to 70 firmed with their existing gas generation. So can you give us any guidance about what you're expecting from Lincoln Gap, um, sort of unfirmed and firmed? Uh, well, you know, we've – I can't really go into the details, but uh, we've, we've not um, – uh, already the contracts we've sold have uh, been styled around traditional um, uh, electricity contracts. We have offtake with – Snowy Hydro and LGC contract with ERM. Um, so we've separated the two products and uh, the whole idea of that was to capture the full value of the product uh, from the, the wind farm. And mm-hmm. uh, with we have surplus uh, to sell out of the current stage, but we're also looking to the future because uh, we've got another um, potential doubling of linking gap on the existing leasehold area. Um, already, and so we're in the permitting process for that right now. We'll add another 245 megawatts. 245 megawatts, that's extraordinary. So that takes up to about 400 and, um, I, um, well, I can't quite do the 460 megawatts. <laughs> um, <right>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and this is quite close to the old. Um, in, in fact, that's about the same capacity as the coal-fired generator. It um, what kind of replaces? I mean, it's in the same vicinity as the old um, as your coal-fired generator in Port Augusta, isn't it? Yeah, no, we 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 really like the site there. It's a fantastic site, uh, very strong interconnection, and you know, we've got MLF of point nine nine. So 
looking to capitalize on on the site advantage and it's got a win good re- win resource in the mid 40s so so mid, mid 40s capacity factor than you're talking about that's right yeah okay hey you mentioned snowy hydro you weren't part of that recent tender of eight projects were you, you, you this is a contract no. you signed previously i think it was yeah that's right no, okay. yeah, that's just right. To, just to be clear about that and so and you've actually said then that having this the, the these these least um um diesel generators which i think you're going to convert into gas actually then allows you or gives you the confidence to actually expand that wind farm then to from 214 megawatts and add the extra 240 megawatts or so that's why we're that's why we're planning. Although we we probably would like to see the interconnector come online uh, before we uh, for that uh, expansion to take place. Uh, back in New that's South the Wales. new interconnector to Wagga Wagga, yeah, New South Wales. Yes, yeah, that's right. I was going to I was going to say, yeah, how much can South Australia absorb without the new interconnector? <laughs> that's right. I mean, you're already seeing some issues with that uh, in low demand periods uh, with constraints. So, you know, we, we feel to, before adding too much more, even though we, we feel we've got one of the most uh, efficient uh, expansions of new wind capacity anywhere in Australia, but uh, really to get out of the state into the other markets, we'd probably need to see that interconnector come online. Mm. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it, South Australia? I mean, it's already more than 50% wind and solar, and yet you've got projects like yours that haven't yet come online in full capacity, 214 megawatts. You're already talking about another 400, another 240 megawatts. That takes it to 450. That's about one quarter of the wind capacity that exists there now. And we've heard about all these other sort of huge solar and storage projects in, in South Australia. It's, it's, it seems to be heading towards 100%, and that government, um, that government goal of net 100% renewables um, – Gosh, with all of these projects, it seems like we'll get there well before 2030. Yeah, it, it would do. Um, although, you know, we, we're not sure about whether, you know, we can really take that much more solar in there um, just because of the sun comes up at the same time for everyone. But, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, for us, we, we're sort of, we don't usually get much wind in the day, so it's a, we fit around that solar profile. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fascinated. We've, we've seen some of the contracts written in um, South Australia and elsewhere, um, and, and we've seen a bit of it just recently with all these prices going to negative in the middle of the day or at various other times if it's um, due primarily to wind. Um, some of those contracts have required solar farms to actually switch off when the prices go negative. Have you uh, have you been subjected to uh, any such uh, contract if you, that, you, that you're able to talk about? No, we, we don't have any physical uh, – we don't have a meter – Based contract, so mm-hmm. you know, you know, we obviously would just switch off for economic means, but um, that'd be fine for us. Since uh, oh, okay, so that's what you would just choose to do. Um, and it's interesting, actually. We did a um, an interview with. Um, with um, um, AMS, I think it's the um, Arnold Schwarzenegger backed. Um, um, software provider that has sort of machine learning and artificial intelligence that allows people to sort of trade very rapidly and sort of, you know, mm-hmm. very complicated algorithms. Look, one thing I was fascinated about in your press release um, talking about the leases, you talked about the potential of turning these um, the, the, these backup generators, um, not just from diesel into gas, but also changing them into sort of combined cycle and looking at the mid-merit market. Now, I would have thought that um, the South Australian market was, you know, principally like a fast start peaking market but um what's the value you see in the mid merit um yeah it's fast start peaking and and we certainly would not uh, want to change the character of the plant uh, for that uh so where our plan would be to do it in a way where we don't compromise on the fast start 
um, mm-hmm. aspect of that, uh, given the, particularly given the move to the five-minute market. And it's, it's really to um, have a way for any extended market developments, you know, in which, you know, prices uh, obviously spike when the wind is low. Um, and if we're, if we're really just looking at a way potentially to reduce the, uh, you know, the, the cover we have or the cap on the, on our effective cap on where the market, we're exposed to the market. So, you know, with open cycle gas turbines, that's, you know, reasonably high, even on gas. But if we can bring it down lower, that'll, that'll reduce our exposure. In some ways, you know, that, that will depend on how the market develops. But what we're seeing in the market now with the negative prices switching to very high, you know, in the hundreds uh, prices during the, the evening peak um, or even going into overnight uh, low wind conditions, you can see that, you know, that there would be, could be some role to play for a, for a mid-merit. Um, but, mm. you know, it all depends on CapEx in the day because it is not going to be running uh, that lot, that much, even in a mid-merit mm-hmm. role. Okay, okay. So, yeah, it, it's fascinating because South Australia has often been described as a victim of lack of competition. So, you've basically had one player who's had a dominant position in the market, AGL, and then just a couple of other players. And that's been really, apart from sort of, you know, the lousy coal and, the, and expensive gas, sort of one of the reasons why South Australia has historically had very high wholesale prices. We've had a lot of wind and solar come into the market in the last 10 years, and we've seen prices go down at certain times of the day and certain times of the night. What we've never Never had though is actually dispatchable renewables generation. So, if you and Infogen are now in there, not just with renewables, and Infogen's got its own wind farms, of course, mm-hmm. um, Lake Bonnie and probably a couple of others. Um, you've now got wind farms and you've got dispatchable generation. Are we finally going to see some real competition then in the South Australian market? Is that what that is that about? Well, obviously, we're looking to compete in the market, that's for sure. Um, and I think that's one of the things that attracted the, the state to the proposals. Infogen and ourselves both independently came up with the, the same idea, I guess. Uh, and so um, I guess that's something that, that we, we know that the government is, is encouraged by, is uh, uh, facilitating some more players in the market. That was part of your promise then. We, we shall bring more competition. Well, it, it was certainly uh, one of the, the selling points, yes. Uh, mm. and, uh, um, and so we, now we're looking to support uh, you know, retailers in the market and, and customers. Uh, but uh, Infogen has got a retail license, but at the moment we're sort of we're thinking that our role will be to support sort of, uh, you know, retailers that are operating and needing access to, uh, uh, you know, uh, firm uh, power. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see when you guys get this um, get this happening. And of course, that those these these um, these machines will still be contracted to provide the emergency backup that the, that they're originally brought in for. But in fact, have only actually ever been used once. I think in anger. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, in those situations, you know, from a commercial perspective, we should already be running. But uh, yes, we you know we do have a requirement to to stay available during those peak summer months. Mm. The other component of the Lincoln Gap facility is a battery. Um, now, tell us more about the battery. I think the first iteration of it is 10 megawatts, 10 megawatt hours. Where are you up to with that? I think it's a, am I right in thinking it's a Fluence battery? 
Yeah, it's a Fluence battery. Um, it's it's actually fully installed. Um, we were wait just uh, waiting for it to uh, get uh, uh, into operation in anger. Uh, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, we just got a few few more things to do with uh, the registration of that. But uh, it's fully there, and we expect that to you know it'll be helpful uh, to to our position there. Um, we'll certainly be learning with it. Um, but uh, we just couldn't see batteries right now. Um, uh, you know, providing all the protection we would need to to be offering firm products. What sort of role will a battery play, and um, will it be making money? Uh, it will. Uh, I think right now it's it's going to help us with our ancillary services costs, uh, help offset that uh, by selling that uh, for linking gap, um, mm -hmm. and uh, so that's that's a big part of its its play. Um, it has some protection for uh, like market positions, but obviously it's limited with only one hour of storage and being only ten megawatts. Um, but we certainly have built the capability there to add more uh, batteries, and duration, or and and obviously size up to thirty megawatt without any additional investment in the connection infrastructure. So that's really just be waiting to for the cost to come down the level. We think uh, you know we could make sense to invest in some more. Oh, that's interesting. So you, you want the is the matter then just solely of the battery storage costs coming down, or is it also a matter of value streams emerging with the um, battery storage market in Australia? That, or maybe a bit both of both. Of those, yeah, a bit of both, I think. But certainly we have the optionality mm. already there. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the marginal loss factor of 0.99. That's um, that's pretty damn good. Um, a lot of people will be uh, killing for that. Um, how long can that last? Have you got any other projects in the area that might sort of threaten that, or are you pretty secure in the longer term? Well, you know, we, we certainly forecast uh, in our base case that that might come down if other projects move forward, um, and that's mostly some solar projects down at Wyala um, that are, are proposed. Um, we see that could have some impact, but um, you know we still think we're always going to have a pretty healthy uh, MLF there. Fair enough. And um, and what about just the whole sort of connection process and the commissioning process? I mean, I guess you haven't sort of quite completed it yet, so you're probably in a really bad position to comment. You don't want to offend anyone, but uh, how's it going so far? Because I think we've had lots oh, no, of, sort of connection delays and things. Yeah, we're fully connected. I think our issues are not being associated with with connection. So. Um, our contractors uh, had some struggles financially, uh, so that that's been, had more of an impact than than the connection side. But uh, still, we've managed to push forward and get the get the plant built uh, despite all that. So, this um, was that Semvian, wasn't the um, the provider of the yes, turbine? that's right. That's right. Okay, and you've, man you've managed to get through that and um, haven't had to change sort of manufacture or anything like that, but uh, managed to get the uh, all the bits and pieces you needed. Well, for the first stage, uh, the first 35 turbines, they were already there. Uh, eight were erected when we when they had started their troubles, and uh, none were commissioned. And now, you know, we've got 30 fully up, um, and uh, we obviously had to help them out uh, with all this. Uh, but uh, um, and you know, the commissioning's now underway. So um, you know, we foresee by November all of those 35 will be up and running. And, uh, you know, we, we may have to make some changes to the kit for the second stage, but uh, that's all, all well in train as well. So we see. Mm. Mm. 
And so that second stage, what's going to be the final influence for making that decision then? Is it going to be that new connector going ahead? No, I'm just talking about the second 24 turbines of the 212. Oh, okay. Oh. Right. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. So that they're already committed. So that, that that's going to happen. Oh, okay. That's, so that, that, that's going to happen with Synvian then? Uh, it's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Okay. So, okay. So, okay. Sorry. No, okay. I sort of misunderstood what you were saying then. So, the 24 meg, the, 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 the second stage 24 turbines of the 212 megawatt first stage um, is going to go happen, but it may, it sounds like it may not necessarily be Senvion. Um, may well be that, somebody that's else. Good. That's correct. Yep. Okay. Good. Got that one. And then, so the second stage, this extra 240 megawatts, back to that question then. So, what would be the trigger points with that? Would that be the new interconnector or would there be some other? dynamic in the market yeah, I, think, I think it's obviously we've, got, we've still got to finish our, our work on the development approval for that uh but mm -hmm. uh but uh that we see is you know reasonably straightforward on just expansion of an existing site um you know and uh it's a pretty remote area out there and uh, our grid connection is is got capacity everything so that that's pretty straightforward so we think that work uh, will be ready to effectively start construction uh, towards the end of next year, uh, but we did need to see that at least the internet get committed before we started that. Well, with any luck, a decision will be made by that um, probably later on this year, I guess. So, um, well, um, at least a regulatory approval anyway. Then I suppose it's just a matter of getting the financing for it, but that probably isn't a problem. So, look, where you're sitting in, um, Lincoln Gap is your big project in Australia, and I think you've got other sort of smaller ones. Um, you're sort of based in Singapore. When you look at the Australian market, um, you've taken, it's, it's quite extraordinary really that you've just taken one big, big project um, on. So what, what do you, sitting back in Singapore, you look at Australia, you look at the resources, you kind of look at the federal policy and the state policy. I mean, is it hard to make sense of it all or is it very much a sort of an individual sort of area suit and um, are there other opportunities out there? Uh, yeah, well, there's, there's obviously Australia, we've got a position there and we would be looking to, you know, see if we can't... Um, look at the, the strategy to participate in the other markets you know, and it probably would be a similar strategy um, uh, looking at the maybe firming even first and then coming back into the renewables that way um, but in other for an exif energy we we target uh, southeast asia and uh, australia and so we have hydro and wind and other gas fire projects in our other markets uh, that we're doing which are more traditional styled markets generally uh, with either feed-in tariffs or PPAs. Um, in Australia, um, obviously I started my career in Australia when, when the market was coming in, first getting set up in the late 90s, early 2000s. And for Australia, obviously it's, it's hard to keep, <laughs> keep on top of all the policy changes and uh, uh, things going on there. Uh, but uh, certainly... Um, and we're looking for where the opportunity might be to you know, help help um, mm. contribute. So, mm. as, as as a deployer of capital in very different countries, is Australia, um, you know, sort of going forward um, an attractive um, an attractive destination, or is it uh, is there competition out there with other countries, other markets? Um, as I say, it's one of our markets, and we think it's attractive in, in terms of that. There's looks like there's a need uh, for our solutions. 
um, for us, you know, we're looking at how the, what's the best way to fill that need and, and hence how we have, you know, come with the idea of, uh, of doing the gas turbines in, in South Australia. But um, you know, right now it seems like, you know, renewables seems like need might be well filled in the other states. And so maybe we're, we're starting to cast our mind how can we best support the transition to, uh, to renewables in the interim. Um, so. Uh-huh. so it sounds like sort of dispatchable capacity. So are you thinking more sort of gas turbines or are you thinking storage of some sort? Gas turbines, I think, at the moment. In uh, uh, storage, we think it's just not there yet in terms of the, the cost structure, uh, at least not on an unsubsidized basis. But, uh, you know, ultimately, as technology advances, you, know, you would expect that eventually that there will be solutions for that and the phase out of fossil fuel altogether. But uh, probably for the interim period, it's hard to see the ever um, having you have a water battery. It's hard to see how you can make the the numbers stack up right now. Mm, interesting. Mm. Well, Matthew Bartley, um, CEO and founder of Mixif Energy. Um, thanks very much for joining Energy Insiders. No, no problem. Thanks, Charles. So that was Matthew Bartley, the founder and co-chief executive of Nexif Energy. Um, David, it's um, interesting, another big project um, lined up for South Australia if he does get round to doubling the size of Lincoln Gap. Um, interesting that he's talking about his um, his little battery that he's putting in there, 10 megawatts, not going to expand it until the market dynamics change. But I just wonder, this idea of buying these backup generators from the South Australian government, now I understand why the South Australian government would have wanted to sell them, but... Um, um, I mean, it's a bit like um, Infogen have um, been in this as well, and they've done the same thing in New South Wales, and they're looking at this sort of this firming market to have either sort of contracts for themselves. But I wonder if AGL might be a bit um, peed off by the fact that they actually decided to build the Barker's Inlet uh, fast start generators in South Australia, pres- presumably assuming that these um, other state government generators would never be switched on in the market, would just be there for an emergency. Well, I don't know, Giles. I, I suspect AG- big companies like AGL cover a lot of contingencies and, and, and outlooks. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm a little sceptical, I must say, of uh, Infogen, uh, not so much Nexif, uh, and we'll have to. I'll be looking at the economics of those those uh, gas generators and, and their costs uh, uh, more carefully going forward. But it does seem to me that uh, Infogen uh, is very happy to move back into the gas market, something where the management team there probably feels they're totally comfortable with, uh, <laughs> rather than actually building too many more renewable plants. You know. Um, well, they say, well, yes, I think their argument is that sort of the more gas plants we get, the more renewables we can have down the track, which sounds like an old gas argument from way back. But um, yes, um, look, I only hope that by having these companies with renewables and therefore sort of dispatchable wind and what have you, that actually brings more competition to the market, which has been dressed, dressed really badly needed in South Australia for so many years, I mean, for decades, basically. Giles, the, the, the most competition will come by building the South Australia, New South Wales interconnect. You know, that is the thing that will fix the South Australian market up. What a perfect why, segue. <laughs> it's, it's why when you look at the futures prices, uh, the, the 2022-2023 South Australian futures prices doesn't trade, but it's way overpriced uh, on the basis that that interconnector was going to get built. 
Uh, and so in, in theory, if you could actually trade in that, in that uh, you, you know, I think there's money to be made there to start with. Mm. Uh, um, but you, 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 you took note of Rick Francis from Spark Infrastructure. What, what, was, what, was, the, um, what was he basically saying? They actually want, um, they want more returns from these um, new interconnectors? Are they, yeah, they're well, not happy with the, the money they're going to get from them? Rick, Rick whinges that the regulated return on new transmission is too low and, you know, that his safeguards have been uh, reduced over time. As you know, you can't appeal uh, in the same way to the competition tribunal that you, that you used to be from a regulatory hearing. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I keep urging the view that I think there's a case for uh, government money, either New South Wales or federal government money, to pre-fund or seed some of this transmission investment. But Rick Francis, who's the CEO of Spark, which is a part owner of Transgrid, uh, uh, wants a higher return. And he's just, I suppose, using the fact that this thing's going to get built as an opportunity to leverage up that request. I don't think he's going to get a higher return, <laughs> uh, but I think that transmission line's going to get built. Well, that would probably be a good thing. Look, David, it's been no, fantastic. No, there's no probably about it. It will be an excellent thing. It's the absolute, totally essential thing, as are other parts of the ISP. No probable about it, Giles. Well, I was just trying to be sort of, you know, it's my English antecedents and being sort of, you know, sort of slightly off the cuff and ironic or whatever. But um, yes, no, definitely. I mean, if you just look at the, if you just look at the pipeline of huge projects sort of waiting to be built in South Australia, I mean, it is, it's a constant fascination to hear the federal government just talking nonsense about energy policy and the South Australian Liberal government um, talking quite firmly about their goal for 100% net renewables, which sounds really radical, but it's not actually that radical. And um, by 2013, they'll probably get there well before then. But um, anyway. And we, of course, we also had Catherine Tanner during the week, uh, the CEO of uh, Energy Australia, talking about the experiment that Victoria's running. But again, you have to understand she's talking her book. Uh, she wants to get a good deal for your lawn, but your lawn is, is going to be challenged as the amount of renewables. So the, the fundamental point when we talk about the price, uh, Giles, is that indeed all this, there is more new supplies being built so far uh, than demand has increased. So that must negatively impact price somehow or other. Uh, you can believe in eco laws like that of supply and demand. They, they work every single time. So, so there is going to be an impact on price. It's just a very delayed impact because of the delayed impact of all the new renewables coming online and because so much coal generation is effectively being taken out of the system and some gas generation uh, just at the moment. As that stuff comes back online, uh, then there's going to be even more price competition. Victorian generation is going to start moving up to New South Wales. Queensland generation is going to keep moving into New South Wales. And there's going to be a squeeze on and someone's going to be a loser. <laughs> well, keep listening to Energy Insiders podcast and we'll find out who that is sometime down the track. Look, I'm going to have to say thank you very much to our sponsors um, right now. Uh, Solaray Energy right here with us right from the start. And also Evergen, who just came on board just recently. We thank you for your, both for your ongoing support. And um, David, good to have you back. And um, we'll be back um, back together same time next week. Let's keep it interesting, Giles. Good, good evening. <laughs> good on you, mate. Bye-bye. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, providing fully integrated and optimised energy intelligence and storage for residential and commercial sites. With technology developed in Australia with the CSIRO, Evergen customers can maximise the return on their sustainable energy investment. Visit evergen.com.au and take control of your energy bills. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solaray Energy. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. 
Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today.